Good morning. <clears throat> we uh, finished up last week with the study of, of Job. Uh, two weeks prior to that, we were um, looking at the life of Solomon. And so we want to pick up where we left off, and we want to take a look at the book of Proverbs this, uh, the, over the next two weeks. <clears throat> and we want to consider um, friendships and uh, people to avoid and people to embrace. And so we're going to take a look at that as we uh, look through the book of Proverbs. Years ago, many, many years ago, I attended high school. I was at a high school in Vancouver with a student population of about 15 or 1,600 students. The school office was located around the center of the building of the school. It was a very large high school uh, building. And all of the hallways at some point or other converged at this location. Uh, in the hallway, there was a large desk. And uh, I used to, in between classes, I used to make a beeline for the desk. And I used to sit on the desk and just watch all of the students go past. And uh, as I did that, uh, I, always, I always enjoyed being a people watcher. I still enjoy being a people watcher because I think you can learn a lot by watching people. You can learn a lot about the character of people as you watch them, just simple things that they do or don't do, and you can learn a lot about their character. Now, Solomon was a very wise man, and he was also an observer of people. Now, thankfully, I didn't write down any of my observations because they probably wouldn't do you any good today. But Solomon did write down his observations, and they do us a world of good today. Um, they're preserved for us in the book of Proverbs. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 4, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs. And his songs were 1,005. Proverbs is a book where there are... Uh, a proverb is um, made up of carefully chosen words in a highly compressed form. And uh, a typical proverb may be only two sentences long. But it is so skillfully written that it makes a conspicuous point so that we will take it to heart. Some of the Proverbs are funny. Some of the Proverbs are deadly serious. Um, I think of some that are favorites, such as um, Proverbs 11.22. Just as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. You don't put gold in the, in the nose of a pig. But you would think that a woman who is beautiful would also have discretion. That's the point of the, of the, uh, the proverb. Another one that we like to, to look at is dealing with a lazy man or a sluggard. It says that the sluggard or the lazy man says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion in the streets. He has excuses for why he can't go out there to work because there's, there's potentially a lion out there. Really, how many lions have you seen wandering the street? It says in, uh, in Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges... So does the lazy man on his bed. 
It's like his side is fixed to the bed and all he can do is flip and flop back and forth. Okay, a simple proverb, but it really sticks. The lazy man buries his hand in his bowl. He's so lazy, it wearies him to bring it out to his mouth. He's so lazy, it's hard for him to even eat. Someone said that uh, proverbs are not necessarily promises, but rather generalizations of what is commonly true. For example, there are many proverbs that talk about hard work, and it, and uh, the ones that uh, talk about that indicate that those who work hard, those who are self-disciplined, prosper, while those who are lazy and glut- gluttonous become poor. In a general way, that is true. Is it true of every specific instance in life? No, the Proverbs aren't meant to be true of every specific instance. They're not promises in that sense, but they tell uh, from observation what is true. In our society, and I want because we are doing a study on character traits, I want to just uh, mention a couple of things here. Our society does not concentrate on character. Our society concentrates on personality. Very different. Personalities and character traits are two different things. Uh, we give uh, personalities names. We say, oh, he's a type A personality or a type B personality. We say, oh, yeah, well, that characterizes the man. No, it doesn't. It tells you something about him, about his personality. We take personality tests. I see this all over the Internet. Take this personality test, and it'll tell you what you're really like. No, it doesn't. We, many of us have had to go to college and have had to take um, classes in psychology. And uh, one of the things that you'll learn in psychology is that there is no consensus on the definition of personality even among the psychologists. The problem is that the study of personality traits entirely misses the point. The emphasis in the Bible is not on a person's personality, but on his character. And that's what we want to focus on as we study uh, the book of Proverbs. And so as we read the verses this morning, I want you to think and think hard about your own character. Think hard about the character of your family members, particularly you fathers. Think carefully about the character of the friends that you choose or you have chosen. Character, not personality, character. So today we want to look at characters to avoid, and then next week we want to look at characters to embrace, people to embrace. I think the key verse... um, Two verses that come to mind in Proverbs about this subject. Uh, one is found in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 26. <clears throat> if you are a believer this morning, this verse is for you. It says this, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. The second verse is Proverbs 13:20, and it says this, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed, or the friend of fools will be destroyed. So let's begin our list of people we should avoid. Now, as we look at this list, <clears throat> uh, some of these people the Bible very specifically says in essence, to avoid at all costs. 
you just plain avoid them. Stay away from them. Don't go near them. Get far from them. Do not have these as your friends. Others we are told to stay away from because they will lead you astray. A third group of people are those who um, are headed for trouble and you don't want to be there when they find it. Okay? We should avoid others because the Bible says clearly in Proverbs that they are an abomination to the Lord. And there are several, more than I thought there were. Many who are an abomination to the Lord. Some of you have chosen friends who have persuaded you to do evil. And today I want to ask you to listen to the voice of wisdom. It's not my voice, it's God's voice. The voice of wisdom calling you back to a path of righteousness. All through the Bible, the Lord gives us a choice. And he says this to Israel on many occasions. He says, I'm going to give you life or I'm going to give you death. And he illustrates the two paths that they could choose. And he says, choose life. So not only does he tell you the consequences of, of the, the choice, of if you choose life or if you choose death, but he says, when he gets to the end of it all, he says, choose life. And so God is saying the same to us today through the book of Proverbs, choose life. If you've made bad choices of friends, if you've made bad relationships, wake up before it's too late and choose your friends carefully. I also want to speak to those this morning who are unmarried, who are not married yet. And as you think in terms of your future husband or your future wife, if you will listen to counsel today, you will avoid being saddled with the wrong husband or the wrong wife, the wrong kind of husband, the wrong kind of wife. There are actually many characters to avoid, perhaps two dozen in, in the book of Proverbs. We're not going to look at all of them, but it's an interesting study and I recommend it to you. Um, as a father would appeal to his own children, I want to appeal to you. Listen, my son, listen. Now, there's one more thing I want to add before we get started. Some people believe that the best way to learn anything in life is by experience. And I will agree with you that experience is a very effective teacher. But it is a very foolish way of learning. The Bible promotes a better way, and that is by wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom listens to advice. Wisdom listens to counsel. Counsel or guidance from parents. Counsel or guidance from elders and teachers. Counsel from those who have learned by experience the wrong way and realize that it's wrong. In fact, you would be far better to let other people experience calamity and watch it, be an observer, and learn from their mistakes, learn from their sin, than to do it yourself. Experience is an effective teacher, but it is the worst kind of teacher. It is a cruel taskmaster. Wisdom sees the folly, the foolish choices, the consequences, and the cost of bad choices and takes it to heart. And so today, I trust that everyone here, including myself, 
will listen to wisdom and avoid friendships with people who will turn our hearts away from the Lord. So the first person or group of people we come to is found in Proverbs chapter 1. Did you know that uh, gangs are talked about in the Scripture? Right here in chapter 1. You may have heard of the Ku Klux Klan, the Aryan Brotherhood, the Latin Kings, the 18th Street Gang, the MS-13 Gang, trying to make uh, uh, waves in uh, Richmond here in, in um, just up the hill, up the street from us. The Gangsta Disciples, the Cosa Nostra, the Mexican Mafia, notorious gangs that you may have heard about in Los Angeles, the Crips, and their rivals, the Bloods. Then there are the local gangs, the Taliban Gang, East Palo Alto, the Deep Sea, Richmond. The city of Oakland has a two-square-mile area um, in the flatlands, they call it, known as the Killing Zone. You guys are familiar with it, right? The Killing Zone. Two square miles. The city has a gang task force of eight police officers. And they're up against over 10,000 gang members. Just eight guys. Drugs, money, prostitution, retaliatory killing fill the streets of Oakland. Over 300 gang-related deaths in the last three years. Over 100 a year. There are over 20 gangs in Oakland. Some of them you may have heard of. The Acorn Mob, Dogtown, Ghost Town, Seminary, East Oakland Gang, the West Oakland Gang, the Polar Bears, Murder Dubs, Lower Bottoms. And all of them are out there playing what they call the game. The game. It's all about money. It's all about drugs. It's all about guns. It's all about power. No sooner are key players pulled from the streets and put in jail and a younger, often under adult age, kids come in with guns and, and try to uh, fill the void that is left by the more um, prominent players. Many of the gang members are just that. They're kids. They're kids. It's hard to live in gangs and live past the age of 21. Most gang members do not make their 21st birthday. What attracts young people to gangs? Well, some find group acceptance. They're accepted by their peers. An identity a sense of belonging. Others are attracted by um, easy money. It's not through hard work, it's not through discipline, selling drugs. Easy money, quick money, good money, through violence and crime. They're greedy for gain in a very little time. For some, it's a sense of power and dominance at the expense of the vulnerable and the weak. But whatever gains they imagine it ultimately leads to violence and death. And the book of Proverbs tells us that. In God's book, we read this. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. 
Solomon said in Proverbs 22.8, he says, He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. Last year we had Discovery Channel stay at our house for about three and a half months. They filmed a gang, what they called gang wars in Oakland. It was featured on Discovery Channel this past week on Monday night. The final showing of it will be Monday, uh, tomorrow night, uh, the second half of it. And as they went out as a film crew trying to understand gangs in Oakland, uh, they would go out wearing bulletproof vests and everything else like that because they're right in the middle of the killing zone. And uh, they were shot at uh, on several occasions while they were out here. Uh, it's a violent, wicked uh, group of people to be with. So the first friendship to avoid, the Bible says here in, in Proverbs 1, is with sinners. Verse Chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. I've used this verse many times talking with young people. We, uh, in um, police work, or in, in the police have, I, I think they came up with the phrase and taught it around uh, in schools and that. It was a campaign at one time. I think it was, it was just say no. no. You've all heard of it. Just say no. That's exactly, it didn't start with the police. It started with Solomon. He said, if sinners entice you, if, if sinners are trying to get you to sin with them, just say no. How hard is that? How hard is it? For some people, it's very hard. It's very difficult. They want to be accepted. They want to be thought as being part of the crowd. And they have difficulty. But Solomon says, you want to get through life in one piece? <laughs> Just say no. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. So they're trying to attract somebody into this lifestyle. And they're saying, look, there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of, uh, we can kill people and take whatever they have. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Proverbs 11:19 says this, As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Though they join forces, even though they have a group mentality, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. Now, let me make a point here. Even though the gangs that I mentioned have either hundreds or in some cases thousands or even tens of thousands of members, a gang does not have to be a large group. A gang could be a gang of two, okay, two people. It might be Bonnie and Clyde. It might be the, um, the Beltway Snipers, two guys. It might be two high school friends. A gang could be just two people. Eric Harris, Dylan Klebold. Eric Harris was 18 years old. Dylan Klebold 
was 17 years old. They were two high school friends who played video games together. How harmless is that? Entertained themselves with violent music and movies. Dabbled in the goth culture. They felt like outcasts in their high school, but they had a sense of belonging with each other. They egged each other on in their own wickedness. And as they communicated with each other, they became worse and worse in their sins. One day they entered uh, their high school and they killed 12 of their fellow students, injured 24 others, and ended their own lives by suicide in the deadliest American high school massacre in, in U.S. history. Columbine, you remember that? Paul was right when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And so I want you to think about something this morning. Think about the friends that you have. Think about the friend that you are. And ask yourself this. Are you leading your friends closer to God? Or are your friends leading you further away from God. A gang could be just two. And it may not be as violent as what we've described here. But it starts small and it gathers um, steam as it goes. And so we go back to the beginning of, uh, or the, or the, the key verse that we looked at at the beginning. It says this, He who walks with the wise, with wise men will be wise but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Okay, second person to avoid. I'll tell you about this one in just a minute. A famous preacher was invited to uh, give the commencement address at a Bible college, and the, the uh, administration was thrilled that this man was going to come, and he was going to deliver the message, and had a whole student body there, and they were expecting perhaps a half hour or an hour lecture, and they were all sitting with anticipation. And he spoke one sentence, and he sat down. And it was probably the most powerful message that any of them ever heard. And this is how it goes. Do not touch the wine. Do not touch the women. Do not touch the glory. And he sat down. If you learn no other lesson today, do not touch the wine. Do not touch the women. Do not touch the glory, being God's glory. Okay? The women. The next person to avoid is the immoral woman. Do you know that in the book of Proverbs, there are over 60 verses devoted to this one person? That's an amazing number of verses uh, for one person. They span the better parts of chapters 5, 6, 7, and 9. And they are devoted to the folly of a relationship with this kind of woman. What attracts men to immoral women? Well, according to the book of Proverbs, temptation comes partly from her speech. It says that her mouth is smoother than oil. Her lips drip with honey. It's talking about her speech there. She knows how to seduce she's very good at it she's a skillful player she knows what she's doing 
partly from her speech, partly from her looks. She dresses, she walks, she conducts herself in a way that is very sensual, and uh, she seduces that way. She dresses to entice. They're also attracted partly from her boldness. She is an initiator. She tries to play up to the man that she wants him and that there's nobody else besides him. A person like this, believe it or not, if you look at the, the way they're described in the Proverbs, can be a religious person. She can be very holy in her own mind. In fact, in one case in the book of Proverbs, she, she, one of the appeals that she makes is, is incredible to me as I read it. She says, my husband is on a long journey. We're not going to get caught. I have gone and I have paid my vows. You know what she's saying? My husband isn't here, so I'm free and available. And besides that, I'm good with God. I've taken care of things on the spiritual side of, of my life. Sounds like a very sweet woman. Okay? Be careful. Deadly things come in very pretty packages. The Bible says, in fact, that she lies in wait for her victim. She plots it out. She's looking for someone to bring down. Of a young person in this assembly, there was a wicked woman like this who said, uh, it has been a long time since I have corrupted a fresh piece of meat. In other words, this is planned. It is thought out. It is desirable for her to bring down another person. Although we don't have time to read all the verses, I've chosen a select few. The major problem with guys and women is that guys don't think with their heads. Okay? That's a common phrase, but they don't. They don't think with their heads. They don't think with their brain. And God wants us to think he wants us to think about the cost of decisions that we make in life. Think about the consequences of a single choice that we make. Here are the consequences of having an immoral relationship. Chapter 5, verse 4 says, But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. It couldn't be any plainer than that, right? Okay? Here's somebody not to choose as a friend. He's saying, remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. Are there consequences to immorality? Absolutely. Not only uh, spiritually, but physically as well. And that's what it's talking about here. Here's the problem with not thinking in advance. Eventually, remember we said at the very beginning, there, is, there are two ways to learn anything. One is through wisdom, where you listen to the counsel, you listen to the advice, and you take it. You take heed to it. The other way of learning is through experience. 
And the person who falls into the arms of an immoral woman will learn by experience that those who tried to warn him by wisdom were right. That's what it says next. Listen to it. It says, you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart despised uh, correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. So here's a picture of the man at the end of his days. And you can just see him crumpled up in uh, physically, morally bankrupt. And he says, oh, how I wish I had listened. How I wish I had paid attention when I was told to avoid this path. So someone who learns by wisdom says, now what? I will not follow after a friendship like this. Chapter 6, verse 24. Why is wisdom given? It's to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Go down to verse uh, 33. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. And it talks about how the husband will also, uh, her husband will also um, uh, not spare in the day of vengeance. Chapter 7, verse 5. Again, the words of wisdom are given. Verse 5, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Verse 21, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. How does an ox go to the slaughter? He does not think. He just, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll you. Uh-huh. you know, does not think. Or as a fool to the correction of stocks, till an arrow struck his liver, and as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. What he's saying is, look, don't even go near there. And how do we go near there today? Yes, you can you can be directly involved in prostitution, but usually this kind of relationship does not start. You don't just wake up one morning and go, I think I'm going to go have a sexual immoral, immoral relationship today. It doesn't usually start that way. We start in the recesses of our mind. It might start with something like pornography. It might start with just wrong thoughts. It may be lustful fantasies. And the Lord is telling us, stop. Don't go down that path. Don't go near that path. Don't stray into her path. For she has cast down many wounded... And all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell. Listen to that. Descending to the chambers of death. Chapter 9, verse 18. But he, who, he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. Stronger still is chapter 22, verse 14. It says that the mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. Listen carefully to this. 
he who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. Man, that's scary. If you listen to wisdom this morning, you will be kept from immorality. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable among all. That is God's plan. That is God's program. Marriage between a husband and a wife. And what do we call it? Monogamy? Yeah, monogamy. That's one man for one woman for life. Okay? That's God's prescription. The Bible is very plain in its language as well, that we are to be satisfied with the wife that God has given us, wholly and completely uh, satisfied with her. And it says, And the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Serious business. So stay away from friendships uh, like this. Third, the wicked. You know, it's interesting as you study the Scripture that uh, very often what you want to do to find out the meaning of a word is to look back at its first usage. And so we have the word grace, for example. Does anybody know where grace is first used in the Bible? And -and so-and-so found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah. It was Noah. First time it's used. It's a very interesting word. What is grace? It's God's undeserved favor. He just finishes saying in that passage that the imagination of the thoughts of their heart, the whole generation of people that lived on the earth, was only evil continually. Stop, period. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Man, that's really powerful to understand what grace is just in the context there, okay? Now, the first time this word is used, the wicked, is, uh, is first used of the men of Sodom and Gomorrah say no more okay makes perfect sense yeah they're wicked sodom and gomorrah were not just sexually immoral people which they were to to uh in in uh, homosexuality but they were wicked in many many other ways if you read the history of them it, it was a it was a horrible place full of sin they were morally bankrupt and the first reason to avoid friendships with wicked people is found in Proverbs 3:33. It says, "The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked." That should be enough reason to stay away. But he blesses the home of the just. Proverbs 12:7 says, "The wicked are overthrown and are no more." Hmm. Sound like Sodom and Gomorrah? Sounds like it to me. But the house of the righteous will stand. And again in Proverbs 21:12 it says the righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. Lot we read in the Bible was a righteous man. But he chose to live in a wicked city among wicked people. And these wicked people were his friends. They were his companions. They were the people who were closest to him. The Lord was merciful to Lot. Absolutely true. We see that in the scripture. But living in this wicked city among wicked people, it had a deadly influence on his wife. It had a morally bankrupting effect on his daughters, corrupting his children. 
Someone said Sodom would have destroyed him if the Lord had not first destroyed Sodom. I believe that's true. God preserved him, took him out of the city, but Lot was a man that many people, if you just read the Old Testament, many people would say, how could you call him righteous? But we are told he is righteous in the New Testament. But he was so far uh, from the Lord in his, in his um, friendships with wicked people that uh, it, it would make you question it. A second reason to avoid friendship with wicked people is that we are specifically commanded to in the Scripture. Good reason. Proverbs 4, 14 through 17 says this, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The way of the wicked is like darkness. Verse 19. They do not know what makes them stumble. So here's another friend to avoid. Number four, the scornful. A scornful person is one who derides or ridicules other people, disrespects his parents, mocks God's word, um, or even curses God. The word scornful actually means, um, literally it means to make mouths at. Does anybody know French here? No? You know French? A little bit? Uh, un petit pas? <laughs> in French, if I was learning, I had to take French when I was in school, and I know very, very little, but I do know how to count to ten. And so I'll, I'll show you. In, in my French class, the teacher, who was from France, actually, um, spoke with a, an impeccable French accent, which I cannot do. Um, but we, we were not required to actually know the language. That was not part of the curriculum. All we had to do was um, uh, say French words. So she would give us uh, um, a book and say, you need to memorize this paragraph. And I would listen to her, and I was a good imitator. I could imitate, even with the accent, I could imitate. Okay, But I did it with a mocking heart because I hated French. Okay, and so she would say, "Now, class, pronounce un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq, six, sept, huit, neuf, dix." And I'd go un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq, six, sept, huit, neuf, dix, or whatever it was, you know. And I would so she'd say, "No, no, 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 nu, nu, nu," and I go, "Nu, nu." Okay, now I may not have done it quite that way, but you see how I'm mocking in the way I'm saying it. Okay, I'm being scornful to her. The idea of this word that is used in the scripture is exactly that. It's not talking about learning a French language. Okay? What it's talking about is you hear spiritual truths. And then you mock those spiritual truths. God is holy. <laughs> Get that? God is holy, right? <laughs> okay? Or you're, it's this kind of attitude that is in your heart um, and sometimes on faces. Okay, and so that's what it means. It means to make mouths at, or, or we would use, the term we use is to make faces at. Um, the attitude of the scornful is that when it comes to any serious subject, especially when it comes to spiritual issues, 
They make faces at it. They mock it. They make light of spiritual issues. They hold God and they hold his word in contempt. Interestingly, the Bible tells us that the mocker or the scornful also have the same attitude towards their parents. It's not surprising. It's anyone in authority, anyone uh, either who is in authority over them or anything that should have authority over them. That's really what it is, the scornful. A sermon is preached. Kids are laughing about solemn issues. Or you go out with friends and they have no thought about taking God's name in vain or telling filthy jokes or mocking the very truths that you claim to hold. Scornful. That's why in uh, Psalm 1, it talks about not sitting in the seat of the scornful. In other words, you, you, don't, you don't make friends with people like this. So if you want to learn the wise way, listen to Proverbs 9, 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hates you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Scary thing is that according to that verse, it sounds like you can't correct a scoffer. It's part of their nature. It's part of their character. And that's what we're talking about, people's character. You see, go back to the, the, the immoral woman. She might have an absolutely fascinating personality, but she's morally corrupt. Her character is corrupt. And it's true here of the scornful as well. They might have a, a scintillating personality. You might laugh at every joke they tell, but it's a joke at the expense of God scornful and if you make friends with people like this you'll become like them because proverbs uh, 19 says judgments are prepared for scoffers beatings for the backs of fools how does god take care of the scornful anybody know he scorns them you know that the bible says in psalm 2 that the nations will gather together against the lord and against his christ and it says, he who sits in the heavens shall do what? Laugh them to scorn. Why? Because they're scoffing him. They're shaking their fist in God's face. So you're going to laugh at me? Let's see who gets the last laugh. Surely, chapter 3, verse 34, God scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. And finally, in Proverbs 13, 13, it says, He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. How do you deal with people like this? Proverbs 22, 10 says this very plainly, Cast out the scoffer, and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. Okay, the next one is a foolish man. There are several words, if you remember our study in the book of Proverbs several years ago, we looked up the different meanings of the word foolish. This particular word, foolish, is found 49 times in the book of Proverbs. This is a person um, who is stubborn, pig-headed, short-sighted, and who rejects sound counsel from anybody. He will not listen to his parents. He will not listen to godly counsel. He will not listen to the word of God. He's a know-it-all. He thinks experience is the best teacher. And so he goes out to live a life apart from God. I will experience life. He's a modern-day prodigal. And as a result of his foolishness, the Bible says that he causes grief 
or heaviness to his parents. It says, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to him who bore him. Who bore him. Um, Proverbs 10.18 says that he lies and he slanders others. It says, whoever hides hatred has lying lips and whoever spreads slander is a fool. In Proverbs 10, um, let me go over there. Proverbs 10. Twenty-three, it says to do evil is like sport to a fool but a man of understanding has wisdom you don't get this really clearly in the english translation here but the word evil in this context is talking about committing lewd acts it's really committing um any kind of an act that really is against god but it, it really has the emphasis is on lewd acts and it's really what he's doing, what he's saying here is that a fool like this is one who entertains himself by committing lewd acts. The problem with this kind of a person is that they won't listen to counsel. You can give all the sound advice, all the sound counsel, all of the wisdom that is at your disposal in the scripture, and they will not listen. No, thank you. I'm going to go out and make a life for myself. I'm going to experience life. Of this fool, Proverbs 17.10 says, Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Can you imagine taking this kind of a fool and disciplining him and and striking him a hundred times and he doesn't change? He does not change. Thank you for that. I'm going to go out and try it again. Okay, and that's what we're talking about, a fool who will not learn. You know, believers, let me just emphasize this again. Think about the friends that you have. Think about your choices of friends. And if you hang out with friends like this, or as we're talking about marriage and potential husband or wife, if you're thinking about a potential husband or wife like this, hurry and run the other way. Proverbs 14.7 says, Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Listen, the idea of the book of Proverbs is this. You should, in every human interaction that you have, you should be weighing the value of that relationship. What value you are giving to it and what kind of value are you getting from it. And if you're not getting a value from it because they are fools, run away. Run away. There are people that we should avoid. There are people that we should avoid. Number six, an impulsive or angry man. An impulsive, impatient, angry man needs to go through more than an anger management class. His anger gets him in trouble, but he doesn't learn anything from it. Even if you try to deliver him from his trouble, the proverb says, his anger will flare up again. It says, a man of great wrath will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, you will have to do it again and again and again. The fact is that associating with an angry man will not only ruin your day, but you could be snared by his ways. The Bible says his ways are foolish 
divisive and sinful. Stay away from an angry man. In fact, it says that very plainly in Proverbs 22, uh, verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. Why? Lest you learn his ways and, and set a snare for your soul. Number seven, a talebearer. What's a talebearer? Do we use that word anymore in English? A talebearer? Gossip is another word for it. Tattletale, that could be, if you look at it, younger children, tattletale. Sometimes it's good to be a tattletale. A talebearer. Well, here's what the proverb says about it. Proverbs 26, 20 says, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood is to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. A contentious man is not happy when relationships tend to be coming together. And so he stokes the fire a little bit more, splits friends, divides people, uh, ruins churches, and so on. Tailbearer. A gossip is one who typically builds himself up at the expense of other people. Yeah, he does. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, should we have friends like this? No. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Number eight. Going back to the women again. Guys, listen up. This is very, very, very important when it comes to marriage. Okay? A contentious woman. Now for a little advice on marriage. And Solomon had his plate full of women, didn't he? We read in the scripture that Solomon had 700 wives, princesses, it doesn't say how many, and 300 concubines. So at least a 1,000 and probably more. Solomon was a wise man, but when it came to women, it seems that he was a fool. Solomon can teach us something about women, though, not through wisdom, but how? Ah, experience. So if you're wise, you will learn from somebody else's experience. Some of the most comical um, proverbs there are in the book are talking about this contentious woman. Now, he had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. I I don't recommend that. (laughs) But his experience can be a great help to us in selecting the right kind of wife and avoiding at all costs the contentious woman. I don't know if you've seen this or not. There's a TV show uh, now in its sixth season called Bridezillas. Has anybody seen it? Okay, a couple of people have seen it. I would highly recommend a half-hour segment before you propose to a future bride. Okay? (laughs) These are uh, women. I don't know where they get these people from. And they show you their preparation for their marriage. In other words, the things that they have to get together to get their wedding planned. And they all have this exotic view of how the wedding should be. And they become almost demonic. I mean, it's, it's absolutely... Chris and I have seen a couple of episodes and we just go... <gasps> and he's still going to go through with this? I mean, you talk about a fool. Wow. If you ever want to see the kind of woman not to marry, 
watch an episode, okay? These brides are, uh, brides-to-be are a train wreck waiting to happen. And I'm sure Solomon had a few like them. After years of observation and living with his wives, he offers this counsel. Do you know what I find very annoying? I don't know if you've ever been in a quiet house and you have a faucet. I'm trying to sleep. And the more I do it, the more annoyed you are. <laughs> okay? A woman who nags her husband is like that. So avoid marrying one in the first place is Solomon's counsel. What does he say? Proverbs nineteen thirteen: The contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Brothers, by careful observation you should be able to figure out that a woman who pesters or hassles you before marriage is not going to change after you are married in fact usually after they've said i do they pull out all the stops okay expect that and so avoid one like this. With a touch of humor, Solomon warns this way. He says, better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. You know, in the days that he was writing, the uh, rooftop of the houses were flat. And there was a staircase that would lead to the top of the roof. And so they would go out there and sunbathe or, or they would go out there and, and just enjoy the weather or whatever. That was their yard, their their spot if you will and so solomon is saying look i would rather choose the discomfort of sleeping out in the open on the in a corner of the rooftop than living in a wide house with a with a contentious woman okay he said that's how bad it is to be living with a contentious woman he says no i've got another one okay and he gives us this in proverbs uh 21 19 better to dwell in the wilderness so it's not just on the top of the roof he says you know just get out of town (laughs) Stay away. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Listen, brothers, better not to marry this bridezilla at all. Number nine, those who wine and dine. Proverbs 23, 20 and 21 says this, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. When we say wine and dine, that's an English idiom, right? What does it mean when you wine and dine somebody? Yeah, it's extravagant. You take them out to an expensive, um, for an expensive meal and you wine and you dine them and you give them lots of very expensive food and drink. The idea is to get something out of them ultimately. That's usually why people do that. But that's what the, the idiom means. And there's nothing wrong with eating or drinking in moderation. But the emphasis of the verses is that, that we read is that this endless parade of eating and drinking and partying and pigging out leads to laziness and to poverty. And the pitfalls of this kind of lifestyle are found in, in uh, chapter 23, verses 29, and so on. 
Um, so, again, let's look at marriage partners here. You're thinking about marrying a man or a woman? It'd be best to avoid the party goers, the drunkards, the gluttons. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Look for a woman. Look for a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit, not with spirits. That's really what he's saying here, okay? Not with spirits, alcohol. Peter says this, We should live no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. The whole point is this, that the whining and dining, that whole lifestyle is, is meant to um, feed the flesh, to, to feed the physical and not the spiritual. But as believers, our concentration should be on the spiritual. Number 10, real quick. Those who do not honor God or the president. You're kidding. I didn't see Obama's name in there. Proverbs 24, 21 says this. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster from them will arise suddenly, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Stay away from people like that. They're not wise. The fear of the Lord, the scripture says, is the beginning of wisdom. And when a man or a woman has a rebellious heart towards God or towards God's appointed leaders, disaster is sure to follow. So another character trait that should be high on your list of qualities in a potential husband or wife is one who honors God, one who fears God. In the New Testament vernacular, it says this, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Okay? That should be what characterizes us in our life. Well, there are many, many more. Okay? We don't have time for them all. <clears throat> I'll just quickly go through a, a few other samples here. Those who oppress the poor. And then... Just as a study, I won't go through the list, but as a study this afternoon, if you have a moment, take a look at a Bible concordance and the word abomination. Very strong word in the scripture, abomination. And see how many times that word appears with regard to people in the book of Proverbs. And those are people you want to stay away from. If they are an abomination to God, stay clear. So, that's my list of people that you want to stay away from. And I want to just ask you again, as you think about yourself as being a friend or the friends that you have, are you leading your friends, your acquaintances, the people that you you have contact with closer to the Lord, or are they leading you away from the Lord? May it be that we raise people up to a higher standard, that we raise people up close to the Lord, that they might fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. We'll close in prayer and the meeting will be over today. Lord, as we consider your word, we want to be wise men, wise women who listen to counsel and don't have to experience the pitfalls of having friends like this. 
Lord, we realize that we are in a world where we rub shoulders with all kinds of people every day. But Lord, help us not to fall into the pits of uh, bad friendships all around us. But Lord, help us, I pray, that we might be able to move people towards the fear of God and that they might learn the beginning of wisdom this way. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.